This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bro, it's force of fill up on the track. Yo, I didn't think about it this way before. But when I stopped casting Brainstorm, I realized all you players are junders. You're just a bunch of junders, bro. Two for ones in top decks. Green Sun Zenith prospects. Well, if you don't cast Thoughtseize turn one, then I don't want to hear no chat about blunders. You players are junders. Lilies and bobs and oozes. Tomagoy bruises. Colagons command chooses. Discard Shatterer twofers. Disentomb endurance. Punishing fires looping. And you losing cause we him into to rock. So you're playing off the top. Cascading always goes for broke. Lightning gonna hit you with the smoke. These braids are flapping off your blood. Tap four, we cast a Dracula. Collect another trophy. Assassinate you when we play Enchantress. We back to nature. So pay eight life, you fucking coward. Flex your grip like it's full of power. Forget the student, get your racket. Master losers, just keep attacking. Who cares if Uro blanks your deck? We're in too deep to course correct. We're some availed, we'll cling the dust. Curse the cup all the way Lily does. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying to you just yet, but if you ain't cast and brainstorm, then you gotta keep the fucking pressure on them. Jund will fuck up DNT, wrath the board, pernicious deeds. They'll rebuild what we're engineering, explosive, side of clearing. But please don't try to go recruiting last hope, we'll smack it and abuse it. This is madness. Fatal push, commit war crimes, George W. Bush. Bruh, I get it, all the good cards are in blue. And Merc Tide is an absolute fucking beating. But if you don't cast Lord C's turn one, then I don't want to hear no qualms about dragons. Pyro blasting, fuck escaping Uro and his dumb play patterns. Surgical extraction, calls games like James Madden. Tough acting to acting, and now we're gaining some traction by dashing in Ragavan the Goat, casting cards off the deck. And if they be playing blue, then they'll show us some respect. We used to play the cards, we traded one for one, but then they changed the bar, and that was undone. And now the black cards were unplayable, but we jumped so hard we're unassailable, uh. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Good, bro. Just trying to get hydrated for uh, this banger episode we're about to record. I hear you, man. I'm on I'm on some yerba mate today. What's going on so, there? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh yeah, this is it's been it's been a pretty interesting week. Uh obviously we've got the video stuff going. Uh, and that seems to be going well. People seem to like the deck text, which is pretty cool. Um, it's it's really cool to watch how that's starting to like overtake the audio content on our podcast. Um, yeah, so- if, you, if you haven't watched any of Zach's deck text yet, go to the YouTube channel, check out the deck text. You've got three out at the time of this recording, right? Yeah, and the, the, by at the time of this recording, actually, uh, we will have passed because we record on Wednesday post monday so friday we'll also have another deck tech that'll be for blue red delver uh and and also i'm going to start coming up with some uh some uh patreon curated uh sideboard content so a little more uh I, I, I'm trying to make some useful resources for people who are either just getting into the format or have been into the format for a while and are looking to uh, expand to different decks and stuff. So I, I feel like you kind of have to start with Blue Red Delver as far as a uh, a place to, you know, like everybody ends up playing that deck at, 
playing that deck or playing against that deck uh, at a tournament. Yeah, of course. It's the most popular deck. It's very good. And it's going to continue to be good. It's been the best deck in Legacy for, what, over a decade? 12 years? Yeah. Yeah, it's been... Ever, I mean, ever, ever, ever since Innistrad. It's been the best deck since Innistrad. Yeah, ever since you could flip a Delver blindly, right? Yeah. Ever um, since Delver was released, it, was, it has been the best thing you can be doing. Yeah, it just the deck. The only things that change in the deck are your secondary creatures. Really, it's 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 the classic shell. We I don't want to get too far into that because you can check yeah, out that video, weeks, right? Yeah. You can go check out that video uh, and and see for yourself. But the, those videos are basically just like quick, like this is what the deck is, and the plan is to get even further into the weeds uh, eventually and do like sideboarding guides, deck updates, and stuff like that as we go along. So if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel. You should try. You should do that because we're we're going to be constantly coming up with stuff, and it's gonna it's gonna eventually be relevant to you if it's not already relevant to you, right? Yeah, it's it's more magic content, and the and the the quality is actually pretty good. Not to toot our own horn here, but yeah. like like as that. as we've been progressing, we've we've been getting more stuff. We've been uh, using the the value that our Patreon supporters have been giving us to like up that uh, content. You've been crushing it. So uh, we like, we started we started a okay. business this Done. week, guys. Pretty good. Hit, they, uh, hit like, hit like if you like that we actually are a business now. <laughs> yeah, we, we we wanted to. We were like, well, we gotta. If Streets of New Capenna is coming out soon, we gotta, you know, get into that mindset. Yeah, we gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta get, you know, get all your uh, collateral together, and uh, you know, we 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 basically need need your Patreon support so that we can we can stay Halo rich, right? As as much as I think like hustle culture is toxic and sucks. Yeah, uh, we're in it. So yeah, I mean. This is this is less less uh less that and more like hey you know this is something we've wanting we've been wanting to do for a while and and yeah. I think that it's just you know it, it's fun to produce content personally like I I just I'm, I've been having a blast doing it so uh, and now we're doing it with that out of the way uh, let's talk about what's what's going on with this week's episode dude I want to talk about uh, we all have heard the idea of who's the beatdown and role assessment of course. and I want to talk about how role assessment how you can do that in present day and why, A, why it's important, B, how you actually do that in a way that's effective and see how that changes from matchup to matchup, obviously. And uh, I have a really good example that uh, from the last SEG con in Indianapolis that I want to go through uh, that was just a pretty clear cut understanding of what the role in the matchup was from the Blue-Red Delver side. The matchup is a Blue-Red Delver versus Jessica Days I'm doing. We'll walk through the points and I'll give certain um, moments in a matchup like that, where when you know your opponent's deck list or have metagame awareness of what their deck is most likely to look like, that you can then make those informed decisions that are attuned to what you believe your role in the matchup to be at every given moment. So it, it's, uh, we're going to get into it. Yeah. So uh, let's real quick kind of talk about uh, SCG Indianapolis. I, I think one thing that we can both say about, about the top eight and even the top 16 for that tournament is that there's nothing nothing out of the ordinary happening in this meta, right? Like it's it's blue red aggro, Grixis artifacts blue, which is a deck that they're called. It's eight cast, right? Artifacts blue, like why would you call it that? Uh, elves, and then like blue red aggro down 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 down, right? Even even the next the next couple of decks. So the top sixteen, we've got six blue red aggro decks, aka blue, uh, you know, is it Delver? You've got Just Guy Days Undoing deck and Reanimator Landstill, and then it's and then the top eight, you've got three blue red aggro decks. Burn, it, Burn made it to the top eight. That's amazing to me. That yeah. deck is always always there at every tournament, but you never really see it make top eight. So that's pretty uh, pretty cool to see that happen. It's just there. If you're not prepared for it, you can get buried by it. You know, I think yeah. like a lot of the decks. 
like if they didn't run into Uro at all, you can really breeze through a bunch of people, particularly since Price of Progress is probably the best it's been in my lifetime at this yeah. point. Yeah, Price of Progress, man. That card just gets better and better. You know, that's a card that we even see in some of the some of the best uh, Blue-Red Delver decks are playing like one or two uh, main deck just to get people. If you see Price of Progress in Blue-Red, you know that that person's there to send the messages and isn't, isn't trying to fuck around. Yep. So, yeah, let's so let's talk about this matchup, uh, Phil. Yeah, so uh, I just want to give an example. I think the, the Blue-Red Delver, essentially stock Blue-Red Delver, that's like, you know, your 13th threats, the 12 that you're thinking of plus Brazenbauer, all of the good Blue-Red cards, no nonsense, uh, clean mana base, like... I think it's it's like four Volks, an island, and then like nine fetches with four Wasteland. Really clean with a Mystic Sanctuary as a way to go long because you're expecting to grind. That's clever. And I think that Mystic Sanctuary has kind of just been adopted for the most part. Not everybody's doing it. It doesn't fit everybody's play style. But man, does it look good on camera or any of the matches that you saw at SEG. The Blue Red Delver players were able to keep up because just mystical tutoring for another expressive iteration when you want it is amazing. So to get into the matchup, Just Guy Days Undoing, it's mono three drop prison combo dot deck. Your eight white, your eight white spells between swords and prismatic ending, your blue cantrip sweep. You're running your forces, some for, amount of force negation sometimes, but otherwise it's like seven walkers between Narset and Teferi. It's a, usually a four or three split uh, in favor of Narset, maybe some number of whole breacher, not always. And then one to three days undoing, and you're looking essentially to control the game just long enough to stick a Narset plus a Days Undoing, you mind twist your opponent, go up seven cards, and you can't lose. Yeah, I mean, after so, that, after that happens, like, why do you even keep playing? I feel like if, if you can, if you have a Narset out and you cast Days Undoing, the game is essentially over unless your opponent has like lethal on board. You know, the game is over. Yeah, unless, unless there's some kind of board presence, the game is over, and it's okay to concede that you you've just been comboed, and it's okay. Combo yeah. happens, but essentially, the blue red player in the finals, I believe it's uh, Spicklemeyer. I believe is his name, Clay. If I get it right, I'm looking at the matchup from the the team event, not not the 5K. So anyway, the, so the match that I watched, it, it it was an incredible match to watch from the blue red player side of the board. I mean, obviously, we're seeing both players, but it was the reason that I thought of a role assessment in a matchup because Clay did a really exceptional job navigating the matchup and understanding what his role in the matchup was, and there were a couple of key moments that really highlighted his understanding of a how the matchup worked particularly post board and how to navigate the matchup as such to win in really tight positions i mean we understand who the beatdown is right like we understand the, the <laughs> idea of the beatdown obviously right? who has yeah. the beatdown so anybody who doesn't know like the idea of who's the beatdown comes from a long article written by michael florida flores years ago on the dojo just, on the dojo and it's just an article that's essentially saying are you trying to play a, a control role, an aggressive role, understanding in a matchup what position you're supposed to take so the decisions that you make are informed by understanding what your role is? So if both players are trying to play the control role, one person is going to be doing it better than the other because they're actually in a position to do so or their deck is built to do so and vice versa. If you're both aggro decks, one of you can't be beating down the other. Classic Blue Red Delver uh, style mirror is if somebody leads on a threat and then you wasteland them on the draw, you don't probably really understand. You, you probably don't understand <laughs> yeah. your role in the matchup because you're, you're trying to play. Anyway, not, not to get too far. I off think the, the, the classic example he used was uh, the Suicide Black deck back in the day that used Hatred and like Flesh Reaver versus a, uh, a, a burn deck. Normally you would think that the burn deck was the aggressor, but uh, because the uh, Suicide Black deck was more of a combo deck, just like kind of setting it up to like win kind of immediately with with um, hatred. That it was smarter for the red player to to hold back things like shock and um, you know they weren't playing lightning bolt, but like shock and incinerate to get their creatures play the long game 
and eventually win through uh, through attrition or occasionally having something like a shock to get them if they go too low, uh, casting hatred. Yeah, well, well as, a guy so who, that, as a guy who's read the article multiple that's, times. That's just knowing what your role is. That's that's the idea of who's the beatdown. It's just a colloquial colloquial way of saying, what's my role? Yeah, know your role. So yeah. in this in this particular matchup, they also knew each other's deck list. They're in top eight. They know what's in each other's deck list. There are of no course. secrets here. So in that type of position, you can analyze what kind of role you should be playing way better than if you were going in blind, where you might be caught off guard by something that isn't common in every stock list. There are the one particular moment is understanding between game one and post-board games that the Just Guy Days Undoing deck, which is the control deck in the matchup, like it's going to be the control deck in the matchup, even though Expressive Iteration does give Blue Red Delver the capacity to keep up on cards and potentially go up on cards beyond the Blue-White player, because the Blue-White player doesn't play any raw card draw. It is simply uh, tacked on incidental card draw through Narset and Teferi. So those are card advantage spells, but they do other things. The point that they're in the deck is not for necessarily the card draw. The card draw is incidental. They're there for the static abilities, where expressive is just raw cards. It's selection, but it's raw cards, and that's why it's in the deck. So understanding those why those cards are there. For, from Spicklemeyer's standpoint, he's the only one with the Wastelands. Just Guy Days Undoing is not a Wasteland deck. It's mono three drops, can't afford it. From Spicklemeyer's side, understanding his role as the beatdown in game one, because his opponent's only way to remove Murktide Regent is Swords to Plowshares and Teferi, and then a couple of Supreme Verdicts. That's it. Ten spells deals with Murktides, but Murktides are huge and can close doors pretty quickly. So if you can navigate that I need to either play around Supreme Verdict or I need to keep them off double white if that's possible, or I just need to play around Source of Plashers or be able to fight over a Source so I can jam through a Murktide and really get in some heavy damage beyond incidental beats from the early game on your one drops Yeah, between DRC and Delver. And also so, Pyroblast, they do have access to Pyroblast so, so Pyroblast is post-board. Yeah. Pre-board, and this is this is why it's important understanding your understanding the matchup and understanding what cards you are looking to align in the matchup that you're playing. In the in main board games, where there are way less outs to Murktide, Murktide can go after Planeswalkers more freely than they can in post-board games. And this is really where it's important to understand what your role in the matchup is. Spicklemar understood that post-board, he is the aggro player. He has to be the beatdown. You've got to get you've got to get in those points of damage. And you've got to get in those kind of points of damage. the planeswalkers, right? Murktide is functionally a Tarmogoyf in that matchup mm -hmm. post-board. So between source of plowshares, pyroblasts, the Teferis that are still in there, the Supreme Verdicts that are still in there. There's a lot more, and, and all of the, 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 the bad cards that the player doesn't want against Blue Eyed Devil are going to come out of the deck. The deck post-board is just more densely flushed to deal with the plan that Blue Eyed Delver was bringing to the table, which is vanilla threats get in there. Yeah. And there's one moment in the match where there's a Teferi on the table, and Spicklemeyer has the opportunity to use his Murktide to attack down the Planeswalker, rather than use a removal spell on it, Power Blast or a Bolt. Instead, he chooses to go face and then use, I believe it was a Lightning Bolt, use a, a Lightning Bolt uh, to, to finish off the Walker. Or no, maybe it was a Red Blast, because that would make more sense as to why it was a harder draw. But use the Red Blast on the Walker, and then his Murktide proceeds to die. But he later would go on to win that game by Exaxes because he understood he that knew. the, the, yeah. the Planeswalkers on the table aren't what matters. Like, Narset threatening a kill on a combo is, is, is bad. But Teferi on the table isn't actually what matters, even though it turned all of his counter magic. What matters is ensuring that that Murktide converts some amount of damage before it leaves the table. The, the density of cards that were, are in his opponent's deck that can remove that Murktide are so flush 
that the idea that the Merktide is ever going to have an opportunity to connect like that is so few and far between that maximizing the opportunity and taking it, using resources, even if it puts you down cards to get the, the Planeswalker off the table, but connecting with that Merktide for six damage is way more valuable, even if the opponent has the capacity to combo you. Yeah, they're Later just going to draw into another threat. And, and if they haven't, if they don't have one, you should be getting that damage in any opportunity you have. The, the creature would go on to like be killed not long later, but then he would win via Exaxes off of a lightning bolt. And he would only he only got to that point of Exaxes because he made that that one particular attack on the Merktide, where the Merktide could have just taken out the walker for and and kept up maintaining cards. But instead he's like, I'm gonna let that Teferi go up a card. I'm gonna throw this Merktide at your face instead. And then eventually he went on to win Exaxes. And he only did it because of that choice to not go after the walker there. Similarly, he is the wasteland deck in the matchup. His opponent does not have wasteland, but decklists are open. Even if decklists weren't open, the Jeskai Days of Doing deck, we've talked about it multiple times in this cast. The reason that I think the deck is absolute shit, even though it puts up so many numbers, is the curve is fucking awful. We've talked to, we had Tim come on the show. He, you know, he was, he like won that initial challenge that sort of put this deck yeah. all over the place. And he, he, we, we talked to him about how the curve at two is just non-existent. They don't have any two drops. They have like a dress down, maybe two. Snapcaster, Snapcaster yeah. Which Snapcaster is not, just- It's a, not a two drop. It's not a two drop. It's not a two drop. So the deck goes from like 16 one drops and then leaps over to like 14 three drops and then like a couple of four drops and then you're free counter magic. So there's nothing going on at two. So if you're the beatdown, all right, like let's say if I am trying to navigate knowing what my opponent's position is, I know that when I need to play a, in, in terms of sequencing my land drops, right? And actually when I'm going to deploy spells, I know my opponent cannot combo this particular combo deck between uh, Narset and Days I'm doing. They cannot combo if they do not have six mana, yeah. right? Either they have to have a Narset on they the table. They have to wait until turn four or they have to wait till they have six mana, one or the other. They either untap with a Narset or they have six mana in both cards, right? But yeah. they cannot, if they don't have Narset on the table, they cannot combo beyond uh, earlier than having six mana on the table, which means that if you are the Wasteland player and you're thinking about when am I supposed to deploy this Wasteland to actually maximize this effect, if you cut their fourth land and send them back to three, their play patterns on the cards that are in their deck aren't going to change. No. They can operate on three. They're playing three drops. So unless you're trying to maximize the days because you're going to try and catch a three drop, if you're trying to offset them being able to combo, the difference between them getting cut at five mana versus six mana is significant because if they stick their six land drop, they can kill you. So what you're saying is if you is if you wasteland their fourth land and you could have used that land to cast uh some other spell, you would have been better off using that, using that mana, that colorless mana to cast a spell than wasting your turn stopping them from doing nothing on their next turn. I'm saying that the, like, like knowing your role, if, if, if you yeah. understand the role of, that you're trying to play the aggressor, it can seem like, okay, I'm the aggressor. I need to fire off my resources, deprive them of resources and get in for as much damage as I possibly can as fast as I can. But in this particular kind of matchup where you understand where the, the, the clinch points are for the, for the opposing deck, which is why you can understand when you're the beatdown and when you're not the beatdown throughout a match, if you understand how your deck lines up against another known deck in the meta. So if you're familiar with the matchup or understand the play patterns of the matchup through your reps to practice, whatever, you can assess when you need to go on the beatdown and when you can play the control role. So there was a good portion in the match where Spicklemeyer was just passing the turn back and forth. 
just playing draw go with this guy. And it was the reason was because Mystic Sanctuary gave him access to be able to go up on cards with expressive iteration, knowing that his opponent doesn't have any raw card advantage spells outside of his planeswalkers and Jace, which is also a planeswalker. The only things that the, the opponent can go up on raw cards are through sticky or through, through the actual threats, which you want to fight over anyway, moving into a control world for a little while and as amassing raw resources so that then you can effectively play the beatdown when that opportunity arises by protecting your threats that is also really critical so if you're thinking to yourself okay i want to use this wasteland i, I there's a juicy target on the table i want to cut them off of, off of a color or cut them just hit the duel thinking about when to do that is that is poses a lot of opportunity cost because if that if playing that wasteland and cutting that land meant that you didn't make your own uh land drop to potentially yeah, if you're not progressing the board exactly there's a big opportunity like, cost what, is, what does that matter you know, you just but, waste, you time walked yourself. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, if you were, if you were thinking, how can I just, how can this wasteland most effectively disrupt my opponent? Cutting them in a certain position where they can't actually punish you in any meaningful way, based on your assessment of who is playing what role in the matchup at that particular point in the match, then you aren't necessarily maximizing that wasteland in the best way that you could. Yeah. Because... If you can use that wasteland while they're under some amount of pressure, if you're playing the beatdown, that's going to be more valuable. Or if you're playing the control role, maybe you don't need to deprive them yet because you're trying to go up raw resources and then find a critical moment that you can then play the beatdown by navigating a path for yourself. So understanding that the deck has a critical weak point in its two drop slot, meaning they can't two spell me if I cut them at, if I cut them going from five to six, they can't two spell me, two spell me in a meaningful way. They can maybe deploy one of their three drop threats. And then at most it's a removal spell or a cantrip. They have no follow-up threat that they can do, or they can stick a four drop and then no other place. So they're going to single spell, which means that if I'm going to fight over that threat in that position, I can fire up a pyroblast and either they won't have the mana to support it with their own opposing blasts, or they'll have to use their free counter magic. And if I am navigating a position where they're going to two for one themselves, that means that they're either going to two for one themselves with another threat or a cantrip that could potentially help them get out of the hole that I'm aiming to navigate through by disrupting them in a certain way. So if you can figure out in, and it's part of the reason why Blue Red Delver has been as solid of a deck as it's been for its entire existence is because there isn't really any specific critical weakness that can be exploited a lot of the time. It's a very efficient yeah. deck and it's, it's, it's very contained. It's very redundant. It's quite, that's it's why quite linear too. So, uh, you know, everything that that deck does, it's doing the best version of that thing in the format, you know? Right. It, and, and because it has expressive now and now the adoption of, of Mystic Sanctuary to further go down that avenue, it can more clinically play and, and shift between those roles as necessary in given matchups, which is why the deck being so flexible and being efficient is really important. But the Just Got Days of Doing deck, it has a lot of hammers. It's an extremely powerful deck, especially because the lock pieces between Narset and Teferi are just fucking backbreaking and gross. But the deck itself fundamentally has just an incredibly exploitable weakness in the fact that it has no two drops. So it can't two spell as effectively because it's so clunky. So it's trading efficiency for power level, and that can be exploited by a deck with the tools to exploit how it's inefficient and be able to two spell faster and go up more raw resources or play to the board faster than they can keep up. So and if, if there's you know, no I, better time to test these theories out as well than on uh, on Moto right now because you have that like twenty five dollar ticket situation where you get access to all the cards. Yeah, you can like I, I literally mean, play these out and learn and learn them for yourself and see exactly what Phil's talking about here. If, if you play. Blue Red Delver against his deck and you and you put 
these uh, and put these theories to the test, you're going to see they work. This is just one example too. I'm just using this particular matchup because it inspired me because as I'm watching it, I know from playing a lot of control decks that when I saw that one attack from Clay go at his opponent with the Murktide as opposed to the Teferi, it immediately clued into me that I'm like, okay, this player understands He's the role of the matchup. Yeah. They, they, this player understands the way to use the tools in the deck against the opponent in the way that is most effective to win the game. Particularly from the control side, I think to myself, if my walkers that I can't combo with are absorbing me six life, that's multiple draw steps. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, like, that's a light, that's that's like a life gain spell plus draw plus drawing cards because at the end of the day, those planeswalkers also help you draw cards. So like you're you're not only time walking yourself by attacking those creatures, you're also giving your opponent like two extra card draws. It makes sense to just end the game as fast as possible in that scenario. I do want to caveat though that like this decision that is like that I'm this one particular scenario that I'm talking about, this isn't the end all be all. No, it's not always right for sure. It's, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's this isn't always right. I'm saying that like the understanding, have it being able to assess what your role is in a matchup by understanding where the weaknesses of your opponent's deck are and how your tools line up against theirs on paper in practice, all of that, that will allow you to navigate those scenarios and make those decisions rather than being like, what's right. There's an argument both ways. If you can assess what your role is in that position, there will be many a time in life where you will have the Murktide and it will be correct to go after the Teferi. But given the resources and the play at the time, recognized he was the beatdown and his opponent, he was better positioned to let his opponent have the Teferi and not allow him to use his counter, not allow Spicklemire to use his counter magic to get in the six damage than it was to be able to turn part of his hand back up. That 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 is that is an assessment that you can only make if you recognize in that position that you are the beatdown and six damage is better than raw cards and agency. And that's difficult to do because when you have the opportunity to get a Teferi off the table, you're probably best set up to get the Teferi off the table. Not in this one particular yeah. instance. In this That's particular what? instance, yeah, it made, it made sense to do it. So it's 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 not only knowing the matchup, it's knowing where you are in the matchup as well. Uh, and what's that, important, right, but that's, that's why knowing knowing your role and who's the beatdown, that will change multiple times throughout a game. It'll change multiple times throughout a match. The thing is that you're on a clock, right? So if yeah. you can understand where those moments are against your opponent, you can more critically assess faster those decision trees so you aren't you know, thinking about every single moment for way too long and, and, and cutting yourself off time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you can, if you can assess like what positions are supposed to be better for you and do that thing faster, that's why it's important to like, when you're thinking through games, when you're making a decision, you're not just thinking what is better in a vacuum. You're thinking what is better in this moment as, and the way to do that is understanding what your role is. And if you can assess that, that's going to be a very valuable skill going forward. I highly recommend watching the, the team trios legacy finals match uh, between those decks because it, it is it, it is a clinic from the blue red player side. For, I, for, I, I don't remember much from the Jeskai player side because every time I, I watch that matchup for the most part, you're kind of just slamming haymakers because that's what the deck does. Uh, there isn't really much as much room for maneuvering until you're at a very well-developed state of the game, which is like where the deck looks to go anyway. But still, highly recommend that matchup. Spicklemire put on a clip. Uh, something something we brought up uh, with, with Nate over the last couple of days is uh, that you, you pointed out we missed one of the cards in our unbanning episode. Yeah, I posted a poll on Twitter that said, which is the more powerful card? Library of Alexandria or Urza Saga? And it was what, moment? like what's your, what's 75 your choice? to 25 uh, Yeah, Urza I mean, saga? Granted, granted, I don't have a million followers on Twitter, yeah. so it was only 46 people in the poll. But the majority, two-thirds of the majority, said that Urza Saga is more powerful. I also think that Urza Saga is more powerful. 
And, you know, I stirred up a conversation to, you know, advocate that Library of Alexandria should be unbanned as part of, because we didn't talk about it in our unbanned video. And I think Library of Alexandria, as Probably. powerful as it is, I don't know if it would have a home in today's legacy. I think that- I don't is, know if it would see any card, play in today's you know, legacy. Again, minus the fact that it's on the reserve list, you know, we're not going to talk about the financial aspect of that. Power no, I, level I, I, is me, a card- let me, let me say- let me say one thing about the financial aspect. Yeah. One thing about like because my boy Virgo, Eric Virgo, we love you, buddy. We love you. One of the things that he came back in the comments, he, he just posted the price tag of a library, which is like $1,300. And I think that anytime we have an unbanned discussion, the, the talk about how much cards cost, that ship has long sailed for it's Legacy. Gone. Gone. Long sailed. No here. more, if, if, if we're thinking about unbanning cards, no more is the argument of how much it costs to do so. Can that reasonably be in the discussion when mana bases by themselves are yeah, locking no. people out of the format? Yeah. So, and honestly, $1,300, let's talk Talk about Tabernacle of Pendrel Vale, you know, like that. That said, let's let's ignore the financial aspect of this card because it's yeah, literally. I, know, I think that, that's, not, that's it's not it's not even up for up for discussion. It's not like they're ever going to reprint it, right? But. Uh, if we're talking about this, we we have to get rid of that, right? This card, probably out of all the cards we talked about, has the strongest argument for it not being banned anymore because it's crazy. It's it, crazy it, that like, that's the that thing that's, that's in a world really true. It's in a world where you're on the play, do you want to play this on turn one into a wasteland? You don't. Not only if you're uh, on the play, that means that if you're if you're on the play, so you just do nothing. You draw a card in the first two turn, you can't deploy the board. You can't even date. You say go. Yeah, I think if they printed reprinted this card as an island, it still might be unplayable. You know? Like... No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Zach, I'm I'm gonna retract that statement for you because that that that's that's egregious. There's no way that, if it were an island, it's if broken. you think if you think I'm right, you should like the video right now. No, 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 no. Like, I can't I can't even I can't even get into that one to just try and, and work somebody up. That's this that's yeah. just an egregious that we're we're retracting that on behalf of Zach. I retract it. If it were an island, it still wouldn't be broken. Fine. Be broken. But let's go back to what I was saying. If you're on the play, you play this and you pass turn. Next turn, you draw to your sixth card, right? Like, no, you draw to your seventh card, you draw a card, and then like you play a land. Yeah, you're getting value, but like you're going to eventually want to progress your board, right? And that's not something you can just take several turns to like gain card advantage up to seven, up to seven, up to seven. It's great in old school but it does not work really in legacy. Too much is already going on, right? And you have so, to be able to yeah. cast other spells to stop your opponent from killing you. So and if it's I on the that, draw, like it's the same kind of thing, right? No, I mean, on the draw, you you it's better because you just get a card immediately. Uh, so, of like, course, but what I'm saying is like, you're still, it's still very likely to be wastelanded away. Totally. Um, on, the, on the draw, it's obviously better because if you get it onto the board, then you can actually convert a, a, a card, even if it's wastelanded. Yeah. Where on the draw, if they just waste it, you can't. Uh, and you just simplify the game state. The thing is, is that like legacy right now is so, A, it's fast. B, it's super color intensive. What letter am I on? C, all of the <laughs> other colorless lands that are competing against it are better for what a lot of the decks want to do. Urza Saga is a win condition by itself. I, I, we were having this conversation with Nate, who, you know, honorary uh, host of the cast still. He was telling, we were, we were debating, it's like, what is the actual powerful part of, Urza, of uh, Library of Alexandria? And he pointed out that really, I made the argument rather, that Urza Saga's power level can only ever go up because they can only ever print more artifacts exactly. that it will be able to tutor for. And therefore its power level, the, 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 the floor of its power level is the current time that we live in it with it forever. It will only ever increase in power. Whereas Library of Alexandria's power is flat. 
It will only be able to draw cards at seven cards in hand. It's it, uh, the argument that I made was it's equivalent to uh, Dark Confidant versus Snapcaster. Dark Confidant's always only going to flip one card every turn during your upkeep. Snapcaster's power will increase as more spells get printed. It just has more options. And for for what it's worth, at Library of Alexandria, it gets even worse if you have to mulligan. Urza Saga pretty much stays the same. Urza Saga is pretty good on a mulligan because it's six. It's by itself six power and a tutor. Nate brought up the point that the increase in free spells has improved the power of Library of Alexandria. Of course, if you can't use your mana to cast spells because you're drawing cards, you're going to use those. My thought on that is all of the free spells are two for ones. And that means that you're not going to be able to draw cards for very long with Library. But that there, there is a point there that free spells do increase the power of Library of Alexandria. I was then trying to think, what kind of deck would library even be put in? It's a deck that can't really commit cards to the board that don't go up cards immediately, that don't replace themselves immediately in hand to maintain seven cards in hand. And then it's also a colorless land. So I'm like, does that mean that your removal has to be like dismember and shit? Is that where the, the I, I really struggled to think of where yeah, it's, library it's tough. would fit I've in tried any to deck play now. It. I've tried to play it because I owned one for a while. I tried to play it in vintage and it's just like not a card you want to play in vintage. Like even if you're playing like a draw go style deck, like you need to be dropping two cards for force of wills. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's great and old school. It's a wonderful collector's item. If you don't own one, you should, right? Like, like let's say library was unbanned, right? Hypothetically, library comes off the ban list. You can play four library on your deck. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would want to experiment, but I don't even know where. So you have to be a, at most, one color deck, right? You can't just play this colorless land in your deck that may or may not have text in a matchup, right? You want to play, I would would think you want to play four because it's most powerful in your opening hand, right? Sure. And then it can stack in multiples if you put- uh, Yeah, you put it on the stack, draw, draw, draw. Draw, draw, right? Okay. I mean, are we looking to do that as like to go up into eight cards and discard cards? Is this like something we play in Reanimator and then remove discard outlets? But then like, does that mean that we're also getting rid of Unmask? Is this is it a different kind of Reanimator deck? Yeah. It, are, are we actually trying to play the control deck or we just always have seven cards in hand at some, somehow? But now we're playing four colorless lands in our deck that opens us up to Wasteland, cuts us off of being able to play Mystic Sanctuaries effectively, and also means that whatever color intensity we have is going to be really stunted. Like double blue and double white are not easy in no. a wasteland format. Like it's just I have, not. I have a, a theory. Do you think that this card would even be playable now if they, so if they did the opposite, right? And said uh, library of Alexandria, but zero instead of seven. Do you think that that would be playable? Yes. Yeah. You think? I, I, yeah. Because then, then you're just incentivized to dump your hand onto the table. Yeah, which is really easy to do. Like, there's a lot of decks that are you could, you just to dump their entire hand onto the table. <laughs> it's a lot easier to dump your hand onto the table than it is to maintain seven cards in hand. Like, yes, I, 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 it's I, easier I, to I have no cards than it is to have exactly seven. That is true. Exactly seven, maintaining exactly seven versus just spewing onto the table. It's way easier to spew. Yeah, and the decks that spew often want a way to recoup cards. <laughs> Look at eight casts. Like it's it's literally would, like saying they would spew spew into this. Yes, they would happily take <laughs> if it was zero cards. Yeah. I think that if it, I would assume the position that if library were unbanned, it would see fringe play at most. But if you put me to the poll of will it be a main, will it be a staple, or will it be unplayed, like just not played at all? I would bet that it would just not be played at all. I think it falls into a similar camp of like the, the the ideas that Mana Drain could bring to the table if it were unbanned. Counterspell is already a one of maybe you play a, a one of occasionally, right? Occasionally, yeah. if you like, occasionally, if you're two, two possibilities that you're playing Counterspell, you're me 
or you've just completely decided to not keep up with the times. So I mean, would you even try and play it in like an artifacts blue deck? Everything needs blue mana. Well, that's you what know? I mean. All of the color intensity now of all of the premier decks, yeah. the colorless mana that you get on the back half would mean that you have to make a deck building concession. So what are you even dumping that mana into? No, like, I can't maybe. see anything. Also, mana drain, it's like, okay, you'll get one colorless mana. That's probably the most effective means that you'll be able to do it. You trade it down, but then you made up for it with a colorless mana. Well, like, I mean, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you counter your opponent's ca uh, Kappa Cannoneer, right? And right. Yeah, yeah, six of course, mana... Like, and magical what do Christmas you even land. do with that, right? Like in Magical Christmas Land, what do you even do? Yeah. So yeah. theoretically, Mana Drain being on the reserve list, it's been reprinted. They can just reprint it more if they wanted to bring it back up. We're, yeah. we're going on to Mana Drain a little bit. But like Mana Drain, let's say you played a one drop and I countered it with Mana Drain. Well, I'm down a mana. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to mana parity on my next main phase with a colorless mana that hopefully I can use, which means that I have to commit to the board somehow yeah. or commit to something that may not be the best time for It that. might not be, yeah. It's, that, that was my biggest uh, biggest problem with uh, getting getting that card in in the format is that you can't you can't convert it, right? Like you want so You can't, you can't reliably convert it. Now, I, would I play it in a deck that I would play Counterspell in? Sure, why not? Like I would, of course, if, it's, if it's a free roll, it's, it's not doing, you know, back in the day, it would do mana burn to you. So that could, it could actively kill you, uh, if you if you cast at the wrong time, which right. I think now was, was a, a, a much bigger deal. But like now, what are you going to like, untap your retrofitter foundry you know like well i think well that, that's what i mean that's like if i'm playing mana if i'm playing mana drain in my deck i'm thinking to myself okay like i need to be able your to sinks yeah i need to play sinks because i need to up like if if counterspell is a lot of the time going to trade down in mana i need to be able to recoup that mana somehow and the way that i would do that is in a sink and hopefully that mana sink is a playable card in some capacity going back to library i don't see where library could even exist because it would not be able to cast any of your one drops that are all color intensive it doesn't if you're a control deck that's playing mystic sanctuary it doesn't commit to your island count you're not going to be able to play it an euro deck that really wants to go blue blue green green narset narset wants double white so does that mean that you're just going to expose your entire mana base to wasteland yeah i i, I just um. like i guess it would, it would have to open up like we would have to assume the position that it's just a powerful enough of an effect as a four of that you would build new decks with it and that might be good. I right? mean, like, I think that's the argument for for mana drain is that you'd have to build completely new. There'd be completely new decks. Completely new decks, yeah. Use, that use that card. I think we're on the exact same thought thought pattern with that. Is that I, you would need I, to build something that took full advantage of, of that card, and it almost be like Death Shadow, where like the whole deck is bent around Death Shadow. I would be curious to see because, like, obviously, if you unban library, the the. I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't be optimal to play four. If you're trying to maximize the best thing that you could be doing with library, which is have it in your opener and draw cards immediately, that you would want to play four because you want to open it. What does that mean though? Is the uh, on the, the the financial aspect, nobody's shelling out you know five thousand dollars for a set of libraries, no. but online that shit's free. Yeah, well that's the thing. Right? I would like uh <laughs> I would love to just see what the what the community would do with access to four library in the four. Like if you could play four library. Where do the where do the decks actually go? SCGCon legacy like, unban. They do the legacy unban, like they did the modern unban. I'm like, are you a colorless control deck? Are you like, what? How do you even? Where do you even start? What do you even do? How do you maintain <laughs> seven cards in your hand at all times? I don't know, but like, it sounds fascinating to me. It doesn't seem like at this point that library is powerful enough to remain on the ban list. If the argument is just like, yeah, it's too pricey, whatever, and like, you know, okay, whatever. But like, I also don't think. That library, given how powerful it is, even if even if I was on the draw, right? You're on the play. 
You go turn one. Choose your deck. What's your turn one? Uh, I mean, Goblin Guide. All right, you went turn one, <laughs> Goblin Guide. Perfect. You asked. Hey, you asked. So even in this scenario, you go turn one, Goblin Guide, attack me. I draw a land. Oh no! And now what I do? I'm either I'm already discarding, or my seven is thrown off. Even if you go turn, if you went turn one, threat at all, and then I go library, go draw a card in the end step. I now have to then go, okay, untap, draw, play another thing. I'm now walking myself into days decks. I'm walking my, I'm exposing myself to every wasteland yeah. oh, possibility. Yeah, it no. just seems like it's not like, obviously drawing cards for, for at, at that rate is insane, right? But the way that the, the hoops that you have to jump through in current legacy just seems untenable. It just seems like not a reasonable thing that you can reliably do. Yeah. And like, if you're drawing in the late game, right? Nice colorless land that does fucking shit. I mean, wouldn't you just rather have Search for Ascanta in your deck? I feel like, you know, if you're going to go long, even, that does almost like, everything that you're trying to do. And like, you're getting the value of the, the, the not the scry. Dude, it's not a scry. And as somebody, a, as somebody a, who's played a surveil. lot of Search, it's, it's Surveil. It's just not labeled yeah. as Surveil. It's my pet peeve. Watsy, fucking <laughs> use your keywords. Yeah. Um, but like, the, the as somebody who's played a lot of Search for Ascanta, I have two altered Search for Ascanta. I would love to be able to play them. They're not good enough. They're not good right they're now. Not, no. They're just not good enough. I mean, Blue Red Delver is too fast. We've already established that. It's too fast. Every deck that has access to red is playing four Pyroblast. If you flip it, it flips into a Wasteland target. It's just not good. The, the idea that the card that you just associated to Library of Alexandria, the closest uh, uh, thing is fucking Search for Ascanta, it seems like it's a pretty safe thing. And the games where I am trying to navigate a game to continue to draw cards with library while you are punishing me, punishing me on the table for using that opportunity to go up cards and then somehow having to deploy those cards being back a land drop if those cards are color intensive because library can't cast swords, can't cast bolt, can't cast any other removal spell unless I'm making deck building concessions in some way by playing shit like dismember, in which case I'm also then uh, hurting my life totally even further. I mean, there's a lot of texture. Yeah. This this card creates, a, it's, it, it's not like Mind Twist, which creates no fucking texture. Fuck Mind Twist. <laughs> but Library, Library of Alexandria, it does. Not to Mind Twist. Does, like, like I'm, right I'm thinking if they were to take things off the ban list to just make us think about, to open our minds with new toys of like what the possibilities are. I am fascinated by what the possibilities of Library of Alexandria could be. And I also equally think that there are none. Yeah. I'm like as excited to Agreed. be like, what are all the possibilities? And just also thinking like, there are zero and it will just fail. In which case, it seems like a perfect unban. From, from, from that argument, it just seems like it's the perfect unban. It does everything and nothing. It's perfect. It'll have it'll have people thinking, but it uh, probably won't result in too much. Anyway, that's yeah. I, I, so I, addendum to our ban list article. I thought yeah. it was an interesting poll. I, I, I think that there was, there's other spots. I mean, from my standpoint, like Urza Saga is one of the most powerful lands ever and is obviously and objectively broken and is too powerful for legacy, but we've just been acclimated to the power creep and we've kind of gaslit ourselves to understand yeah. that, okay, we'll just live with Urza Saga. But I think library is, I think library's fine. <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, I, I think that's where we should stop. I think that's it. <laughs> Who's, who's, um, the, who's the beatdown unbanned library? Yeah. See you next week. Who's the beatdown unbanned <laughs> library? Uh, before we go, I did want to uh, thank all of our Patreon supporters. Um, you guys are helping us uh, upgrade the cast. So I really appreciate that. Um, we, like I said, we became a business this week. Uh, if you get a chance and you found this, you found this entertaining or helpful in some way, uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, that that really helps us out. It, keep, it keeps a lot of things going for us. 
Uh, it keeps I, I, me very motivated to keep doing these uh, these these uh, higher end videos, so that always helps. I do want to uh, also. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but anytime you see somebody share a what's the play of like what you would do in a scenario, rather than think like, okay, what just looking objectively at like what the cards are and what's going on, I would say take a step back and look at the matchup and assess where you think in this position who the beatdown is, given the context of what you is available in that suggestion of what's the play. And analyze it from that. And you might recognize that your your first instinct of what you think is the best line may not actually be the the optimal line in that particular scenario. It's a cool, cool experiment. Finally, let's go and thank our uh, sponsor. Sponsor, hashtag. Uh, so let's thank our sponsor, uh, Moxfield. Moxfield is a really great uh, deck building website uh, made by my childhood friends, John and Harry. Um, Moxfield, uh, you can go to moxfield.com and, uh, they, it's just one of the cleanest, most easy to use deck building websites. They also have this really cool app called Moxel, which is like Wordle, but for magic cards. So definitely check that out. It's a lot of fun, but yeah. So I share all of our deck lists on Moxel. Uh, you can check out the links below for that. Uh, they're all under my, my personal account. I have a lot of EDH deck lists and stuff on there too. It's already a great spot for EDH. But I, I'd like to see it become a really great spot for Legacy as well. So uh, if you want to support the cast, that's a great way to do it. Just go to mox, uh, moxfield.com and, uh, and sign up. And I think that's it for us today. I think that's it. I think that's right. how we do it. Have a good one, everybody. Phil, I'll catch you Peace next down. week. Next week. Peace. Deuces. Fossa Phil. What it do? Let's go. Companions breaking legacy up in a choreo. In your cyborg Zerto, Larissa, and Garuda go. Restrictions and breeding creativity in this format when the only restriction is that you have to play them, yo. Only CMCs under two ain't no threshold. It's how every deck has been built since 2004. Lovers of the dream den in your cyborg creeping. Casting all them bubbles even when you hardly need them. Legacy demanding you have a companion, yo. Even if it means presenting that thick 80, yo. Yori and flying and flicking all of 2019 to remind us of Watsi's mistakes be power creeping, yo. Big Garuda bugged and banned from Magic TGO. Cloning up itself like he was casting mirrors, yo. Zero was even mean and LED be cleaning up like Black Lotus was unrestricted and we ain't even dreaming, yo. Companions be untouchable unless you cast them, yo. Hellbent is a fallacy like the cult of Rakdos. Wishes are for losers when you can just have it, yo. Why you wasting space when this meal comes with a free roll? If you wanna play competitively, put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. These designs were made egregiously. If you wanna play competitively, put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. These designs were made egregiously. What it do? Zerda be my best friend in all of the Boros, yo. Activated abilities, all there is to know. Monolithic combos make infinite mana, yo. Con the great creator, tutor, lattice, lock you, bro. Gigante walls bringing up in Eldrazi aggro. That kind of flavor fail might even throw off my flow. Await all Castlutri and just copy it apropos. Reclaiming my time like I was out on the Senate flow. Karuga the Macro Sage is a dino hippo, yo. Obash Pearson Prey cause he's a horror helio. Mori the Collector at first glance unplayable. Kahiro Garden Orphans if your deck in beast mode. Companions are super busted and ain't no secret, yo. Future Future League on a mission from no one knows. I'ma take a tangent like the movie Memento. It's like Watsi's mistakes are tattooed up upon the skull. Lebris is the king if we be epic storming, yo. Killing it with Tiger Cairo Baskin's hubby, yo. I'm the only one who hasn't seen an episode because I've been too busy getting fucked up by companions. If pulling out the Ben Hammer is what they gonna do, will Rosewater be designing for 2022? The future is fraught with more avoidable mistakes. Maybe they should change design to power creep the brakes. You wanna play competitively? Put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. 
these designs are made egregiously. If you wanna play competitively, put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. These designs are made egregiously. If you wanna play competitively, put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. These designs were made egregiously. If you wanna play competitively, put your companion where my eyes can see. Another mirror match, this is obscene. These designs were made egregiously. What it do? Call me Nostradamus, my name for Sophilio. Brewing up some nonsense like a turbo townie, yo. Eternally dirtling in the top eight of a tournament, drinking some bourbon like companions, I'm despicable.